Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Before we get into today's conversation, I wanted to take a minute to tell you that Eat for the Planet has partnered with Plan-Based World to launch the Eat for the Future Business Forum which will take place during the Plant-Based World Conference and Expo, June 2019, at the Javits Convention Center in New York City. The Eat for the Future Business Forum will feature panels, workshops, case studies, and talks focused on the shifting food landscape and will explore the opportunities for retailers, food service providers, as well as brands. We already have an incredible lineup of speakers, including a number of guests I've had on this podcast. This event is unlike any conference out there and is a must attend for anyone looking to expand their business in the plant-based food space. You can find a link to register for the event in our show notes or go to eftp.co slash event to learn more and use the code EFTP at checkout to get 20% off. Looking forward to meeting you all in person at the Eat for the Future Business Forum. Today's guest is Tammy Fry, the International Marketing Director of the Fry Family Food Company. You may have not heard of Tammy or Fry's before this, but they have a really interesting backstory. Tammy's father, Wally Fry, grew up as an animal farmer where meat was a staple in his everyday diet. Tammy with her mother, Debbie Fry, a lifelong vegetarian, helped inspire Wally to embrace a vegetarian diet and sparked the creation of the Fry Family Food Company nearly 30 years ago. Now operating from South Africa and Australia, Fry's sell their all plant-based products in over 8,000 stores across 28 countries. They now have more than 40 different products in their range and are finally entering into the US market in 2019. Their products have won numerous awards globally and Tammy Fry is confident that their chicken nuggets are the best tasting plant-based nuggets in the world. There are so many unique things about this company that made this such an interesting conversation. Starting with Wally Fry's background to how they continue to openly support animal rights charities and campaigns, something you don't hear much from plant-based brands these days. Fry's has now grown into a global food company but remain family owned and operated as well as authentic to their original motivations that launched the company nearly three decades ago. 
In this conversation, we get into how the Fry Family Food Company got started, how the Fry's product line has evolved over the years, and what can we expect to see in the U.S. Why Fry's products are formulated to help break down the taste barrier and appeal to people who may not be willing to try plant-based foods the global popularity of their products, and why they are taking on the challenge of entering the U.S. market at this moment in time, as well as their marketing, distribution, and manufacturing plans going forward. But this chat is about a lot more than Fry's business and growth plans. We also get into the health and environmental benefits of shifting to plant-based foods and how younger generations are driving this shift because they will be the ones facing the worst consequences of the damage being inflicted by our current food system. Tammy Fry was a real pleasure to chat with because not only is she passionate about Fry's mission, but she is also genuinely passionate about the need to bring about change in our food system to help animals and future generations on the planet. Tammy herself has a very interesting background. We didn't get too much into the details, but Tammy is an avid crossfitter, a karate black belt, a self-defense coach, surfer, public speaker, and mom of two boys. She holds the Guinness World Book record for world's youngest water skier. She also won the Junior World Championships in karate, and she runs a self-defense workshop for women in South Africa and Australia that have been exposed to violence. I'm very excited to share the story of Fry's taking its first steps in the U.S. market, and I'm looking forward to seeing what this new chapter brings for an iconic and authentic global plant-based brand. Tammy Fry, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thanks, Nil. I'm so excited to be here in the U.S. and to join you today. It's really incredible to actually meet you because um, you are a well-known personality and, and you know in the space. So I'm excited to be here with you. Oh, I appreciate that. That's uh, kind of you. I am so glad that we've got a chance to connect in uh, the early stages of what's going to be a long new story of Fry Family Foods in the U.S. But um, this is not a new company by any means. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this may have uh, never even heard of this brand before, um, most likely have not tasted it. Um, so today I was hoping we could use our time to to kind of talk about you, your your family's story, the, the kind of products that Fry's Family Foods has. And of course, we'll talk about um, what you plan in the U.S. and your global expansion. Um, it's a very interesting time in the space where it seems like every other week, we hear of a new company starting that's uh, offering some exciting new sustainable plant-based meat or dairy alternative. But um, your story goes back way before any of this was cool. Yeah, uh, so, that's for sure. <laughs> so I know it started in the early 90s. Um, for for those listening who don't know the backstory, um, how did a family in South Africa decide to start making uh, vegan food or well, plant-based food in it, general? It's, I mean, of course, it was definitely not a thing back then. And in fact, when I was growing up in South Africa, if you said you were vegetarian at a restaurant, they would give you chicken because they thought vegetarians <laughs> ate chicken. <laughs> um, so it was really an unknown concept um, going back 30 years. But Wally uh, was initially a farmer. So he was a goat farmer and he used to sell goats for slaughter. That was his job. Um, not his job, his business. 
and we had a really small house. So when I say from humble beginnings, I mean, this company was started like we had a tiny, tiny house with four walls. In fact, it wasn't walls, it was concrete palisade fencing. And we had a tin roof and we had no running water. So my parents used to go down to the river to collect water and 25 liter drums. And they were selling goats. Now, Debbie was this avid vegetarian, had been from the time she was born. And she was devastated by the fact that Wally, her, her man, was selling goats. Um, and Wally's your father and Debbie's your mother. That's I'm correct. Okay. That's right. And I, then I was born and I was a born vegetarian too. So my mum and I used to uh, keep the goats aside that we didn't want to go to slaughter. We didn't want any of them to go, but we would name them. And then once we had named them, they were pets and then they mm. weren't, <laughs> he wasn't allowed to sell them. So we ended up with like a whole herd of goats that were named and, and it just became a dysfunctional, you know, it, we, it was mum and I against my dad. Mm-hmm. And eventually he decided that um, he would close the business and he would start on a new path. Um, he was still at this point a three meats and one veg kind of guy. <laughs> like he was fully into eating meat, typical South African meat eater. Um, he moved into the construction world and he started building small houses and bigger houses and eventually factories and uh, you know larger construction projects and one day he built a piggery it was a 5000 sow piggery and i think he was really proud of it you know because it was such a massive construction feat um and he went back to see the piggery um in operation and i think that was his moment or his epiphany he was suddenly so ashamed of what he had created and he came home to my mum and I and and literally put his boots down at the door and he walked in and he said I'm never eating meat again <laughs> so there was big celebrations my mom my mum and I were really excited about it um but he was also concerned about a lack of protein having been an athlete for most of his life he was concerned that by going plant-based he was going to not get the protein he was going to be ousted by his friends because they would think he was some weird hippie you know mm-hmm. back then um, so he wanted to create food just for the family that was high in protein had all eight essential amino acids but was also vegan so him and my mum started in the kitchen making what became fries um with a Kenwood Chef mixer. Um, he used to use a cappuccino machine with a nozzle for steam <laughs> so he could steam the sausages. Um, and he had AMC cooking pots and you know thermometers. It was very Robinson Crusoe. Was he a chef before this? Was he big no. into cooking? No. Oh, so it was just that change that made him really, I guess he really wanted Passionate. meat, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to eat the animals. Right. You know, when you first go vegan or plant-based or uh-huh. even vegetarian, Yep. You become so passionate, mm-hmm. and suddenly you allow yourself to see what you've been supporting. Before that, you never looked, but now you allow. Once you've made the decision, you go, "What have I been doing? Have I been asleep? What have I been supporting? This is terrible." And you go further and further into it. So he became crazy passionate, like crazy passionate um, about changing the world and mm-hmm. all the bad stuff that he felt he had done about making that right. So. Him and my mum started making these foods. It was never intended to be a commercial project. This was not like, 
well, we can jump on the vegan bandwagon and we can make some money. There it, wasn't any vegan bandwagon there. Nobody even. was eating vegan sausages. They, yeah. uh, they didn't know what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was back now in 1989, 1990, that he started. Um, and and then from there, you know, the rest is history, I suppose. Um, it, people started lining up at our gates to buy a box of sausages, a box of burgers. Um, and it just became too much to just be making out of the kitchen. So he started a small, tiny um, little plant where he was making this on a larger scale. That was the beginning. We have some old photos. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to look back and see, you know, where we are now. Yeah. And so you to. grew up in a household where um, food manufacturing was business and um, making plant-based meats as strange as that must have seemed back in the 90s. I mean, we're talking about early 90s. That's when even some of the older um, companies that we talk about in the U.S., like uh, Tofurky, got started. Probably even a little later on, Tofurky got well-known only in the mid-90s, I believe, when they came up with that I know, Tofurky I know product. that Seth started um, in the same year. Really? So I, think, I think it was very, the stories were going on and they were very much aligned. Yeah. At the time, you know, he was driving around on his bicycle delivering Tofurky and, and Wally was, was doing the same. Um, so they had, they, there was so many parallels <laughs> in the stories um, and we've actually, we, you know, we, we talk to Tofurky all the time and we have a, a great relationship with them. Um, so yeah, so that was, that's how it all, that's how it all started. Um, we now in 28 countries hmm. around the world, we make probably uh, 60 to 70 different products. So we're not just making burgers and sausages. We have a very much wider variety of foods that we make, everything from pot pies to um, sausage rolls, which is a new idea here in the U.S., nuggets, tenders, chicken pops, um, which replicate like KFC, chicken pops. So we have a huge variety of foods that we make. And so um, who was your initial customer in in South Africa in in the 90s, at least? I'm sure that's changed now over the last 30 years. But in the beginning, who was it? It was um, Pick and Pay, which is a a retailer. Mm -hmm. Um, Wally walked in to see the buyer and he had all his sausages cut up on trays, you know, with little toothpicks and and flags. And he walked into the buyer and usually it's not the way that you deal with the buyer. They Mm. just look at commercials. They don't really sit and taste your products. And the buyer said, oh, no, we don't usually taste. And he said, but you have to taste because that's that's (laughs) what the product's all about. It tastes amazing. So the buyer tasted one of the sausages and called everybody from the office in to try the products. And he got a listing that day for, I think it was 400 stores. Um, And you can imagine we had no packaging. (laughs) We didn't have a brand name. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a production plant. Um, we had nothing. It was just an idea. And when the buyer said that, Wally was, I think, very overwhelmed because he had to supply 400 stores in three months and he had nothing. So he, he took over one of his mini factories that he had built and was and had a tenant in it. He took it over and he had to quickly create a, a similar process to what he was doing in his kitchen to make the products and create our first packaging, mm-hmm. a brand name. I mean, Fries is a really stupid name, really, for <laughs> a vegan health brand, you know. Um, 
so if it had been properly thought out, it might have been called something different. You know, you're seeing some incredible names coming out now. Yeah. But we, we have fries and we're going to work with that. <laughs> yeah, so um, so you grew up with this around you. And when did you decide that this was uh, the focus that you wanted to have for the rest of your career? Um, was it always a given that you were going to join the family business or was that a decision that you arrived at after a lot of soul searching? And No, I, I was um, I was an advocate mm-hmm. for plant-based eating when I was four, three, four. I would tell people that, you know, you can't eat meat, it's cool, mm-hmm. um, we love animals, we shouldn't eat them. I was doing that as, as a baby. Um, and so I already knew what my purpose was when mm. I was tiny. And it was, it's it's been really amazing for me because I've managed to do exactly what aligns with my values. Mm-hmm. So my intention was always to join the business um, from the beginning. I, I went to a school with a thousand girls. It was an all-girls school, an Anglican school. And I was the only vegetarian back then. I was this the is in Durban, South Africa, right? Yes. And... I walked into a classroom one day for religious studies and I walked in and all the girls came and put their hands on me. And I was so confused. I was like, what's going on here? And the teacher said, we're praying for you because the Bible says that you should actually eat meat. And the fact that you're fighting it is, you know, you need to be healed Mm -hmm. and you need to. (laughs) And this was, you know, this is how I grew up. So I was always trying to fight for people Mm -hmm. to stop eating animals um, and so passionate about it that I started uh, competing in karate which is my sports martial arts and ended up training so hard that I could prove to people that you didn't need meat to be strong <laughs> and fit and healthy and I and I pushed myself you know really really hard and I think that's where people start that's where I learned about advocacy mm-hmm. and being an inspiration an inspirational leader instead of fighting with people um and people started to then turn around and say what do you eat mm. how do you train like how do you train like this and what is your food intake mm-hmm. and I'd be like well I, you know I eat plants I eat fries <laughs> That's what that's what I eat. I eat a lot of fries. That's where I get my protein from, and I eat plant based foods. Yeah, and uh, that's that's how I get by, um, and and ended up doing very well until eventually I won the junior world championships in karate, and running my own karate studio <laughs> in South Africa, karate dojo. So, yeah, it was it was an incredible journey for me. Hmm. So, to answer your original question. <laughs> I was always going to do this wow. because this is what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it, it's um, it's not accidental in some ways that uh, your family got into this. I mean, of course, your your, your father was entrepreneurial in, in nature and gen- he had a business even before. Your, your mom happened to be vegetarian um, and maybe she was... Uh, Subtly trying to get him to see things her way, or maybe not so subtly. Not so subtly. <laughs> and um, if it wasn't, I think it's a combination. It's safe to say that it's a combination of his uh, creative entrepreneurial spirit, your mom's passion for um, not harming animals, yeah. uh, and his love for meat in some ways that led to uh, fries being created. Because nothing That's like it. a meat lover trying to replicate meat because uh you know he he or she won't settle until it's it's until really it's good really good that uh, you've nailed it that's exactly it. it it wasn't it it wasn't 
by mistake. It was almost like this was our destiny mm-hmm. um, as a family. And then having me coming in as like, you know, kind of supporting my mom. I don't think my dad was ever going to win. <laughs> you know, two girls can be quite can be quite overpowering. <laughs> um, so yeah, he he and you know they've the, the two of them have worked tirelessly mm-hmm. in this space for so many years. I mean, we've been doing food shows. I don't know. I think I must have done four or five hundred <laughs> um, shows where where we've been handing out samples. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing this a very long time. This is, mm. you know, Expo West and <laughs> Expo East. Those those shows are just another one of the hundreds <laughs> that we've already attended. So, um, and there's new brands coming in there that are brand new. Yeah, from, from like, they've just started. They haven't even started producing yet. You know, no, they've they've been using a steamer in the kitchen. They, to they've make been them. using the steamer. <laughs> they have. Um, so it's a, it's incredible to see how how we've how we've come mm-hmm. so far. So when you started in the, so I'm sure the 90s, the business grew and you, I'm assuming, came into it in the in the, in the 2000s. Yep, 1999 mm-hmm. was my first year at Fries. Um I wanted to work at the company and I also wanted to study. So I ended up studying um, my degree at home, like online. Mm-hmm. I did a BCom in marketing and economics. Those are my majors. And I said to my dad, um, I, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna open your marketing department, you know, like as you do when you leave school, and I'm gonna start the marketing department. At this point, Fries still did not have a website, <laughs> so maybe it wasn't even a thing. We didn't even like websites were just coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have we had very little actually in terms of marketing collateral, um, and there was no uh, thought about oh, this is what our portfolio looks like. This is our strategic outlook. This is now we hadn't even covered that. We were just making sausages and burgers you know that was it um and my dad said to me okay that's fine but i'm not looking for a marketer Mm. and i don't even believe in marketing so i'm gonna put you in the warehouse and you're gonna be in charge of the pre-weighing departments so i sat there by myself i mean i had uh, three staff that worked there and i would sit at my computer trying to get you know the first website up and I'll never forget those days because it was an upcycled desk. I was constantly covered with spice dust. I smelled like a burger patty when I went home. I had a mop cap and gumboots. And that's how I worked for, I think, four years before he moved me into the office. And then he was like, okay, you've graduated. <laughs> you can move into the office now. And um, that was when I joined, you know, sort of the management team in the office. Mm-hmm. There was only five people. But I was like... I, f- I really felt like I had I had earned my stripes then, and I moved into the office. I put the food first food safety management system in place for fries, and I started marketing. Mm. And so, for I know you mentioned earlier about your products, but for um, for those listening, I mean the story is so interesting. I can keep going and talking about your family, but uh, um, I do want people to get a sense of. Um, what kind of products were you developing in the 90s and in the 2000s compared to what you have now? Um, what does your product line look like? Because there are several similar companies. We mentioned Tofurky earlier, uh, but there are several others now in, in the U.S. And, and globally. But we largely have talked to a lot of the ones based out of here, of course. Um, what does your product range look like? Um, tell us a little bit more about that as well as the ingredients that you use and, and how that has evolved over the years. So um, we're still using a blend of vegetable proteins. We always have. 
Um, and we're using, I suppose, our spices and seasonings have become more natural over time as there's been a move to, or as people understood some of the dangers of different E numbers. And, you know, in the beginning, we had some ingredients that we weren't even aware. I don't even, mm -hmm. you know, it was so early on in, in, in this game. Um, so all of that's been eliminated now. We also use superfoods. So we have um, chia seeds, cinnamon. We're using a variety of, of superfoods in turmeric inside the product itself, quinoa, um, and of course, the introduction of gluten-free. But I think um, when we started, we were really focused on burgers and sausages. Mm. We had burgers, sausages, hot dogs. That was our range, four products. We also had a poloni roll, which is like a slicing sausage, mm. which you could slice off and have like as luncheon meat mm -hmm. or on a sandwich. Um, so those were our, we had four products and that was it. Um, and then we introduced crumbed products. So then came the chicken style burgers and, and recipe foods. So chicken style and recipe foods came next. That was mince, the chicken strips, the beef style strips. And then now in the, in the more recent past, we've been introducing um, pizzas, which are artisan, hand-stretched sourdough pizzas, um, that also wood-fired, um, and then a range of uh, seafood alternatives. Hmm. So we've got a, a battered fish, which is you know, obviously vegan, and then um, prawns. And we've really found that people have been very excited about this because I think a lot of people struggle. You know, you talk to people and they mm -hmm. say, oh, I only eat fish. I've yeah. given up beef and chicken mm -hmm. and I only eat fish. And you almost want to say, wait, did, can you go back to chicken rather? <laughs> because, you know, the, the, the ocean is mm -hmm. dying and fish is unsustainable. Um, so that was, that's been introduced this year to the range. Wow. So um, give, I'm sure you've seen what's happened in the last uh, few years. I mean, I say last six to seven years, but it's really that movement has started oh, for much longer. But maybe in the last few years, it's gotten a lot more attention um, because some companies have launched with incredible amount of funding um, using technology as sort of leading with technology, at least in terms of how they describe their products. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think, you know, we've gone through that first wave of this is a different kind of plant-based meat now because it's using this high-tech uh, uh, science behind it that's making it taste any exactly like meat. And it's not the same as your meat alternatives from the 90s and the 2000s. Um, but as the popularity of these products continue to grow, what's ended up happening is that because everyone um, in the U.S. and increasingly in some parts of the world are starting to understand the negative impact of uh, meat, dairy, and eggs on the planet, on their own health, as well as on the lives of um, billions of animals that are slaughtered in factory farms, uh, people are starting to cut down on their consumption of meat and shift to some of these alternatives, which explains why plant-based meats are rising in popularity, which explains why uh, non-dairy alternatives to milk now make up about 13% of that overall market of liquid milk sales in the U.S. at least. So as the market emerges and matures, um, we are seeing everyone uh, benefit from it, even some of the older brands, which some would have assumed in the beginning would be left behind mm -hmm. because they had less of a tech focus, and I'm putting that in air quotes, um, how do you see your uh, products in relation to some of the 
the newer types of burgers and other uh, sausages and uh, that exist out there. I don't have to name companies. You mm-hmm. probably know who I'm talking I'll about. Um, how, where do you fit in from an ingredient standpoint, from a technology standpoint, uh, and how, you know, how, for someone who's trying to decide, should I buy fries or should I end up buying? Um, firstly, they're probably deciding, should you eat real meat or should I buy one yes, of this? Then sure. the next choice is, which, which amongst brand? these products should I pick? Um, what makes fries stand out? Um, I would say that there's probably two things. Mm-hmm. The one is that Fries is made by a family. We are a family-owned business that really cares about what we're doing every day. And we, when we choose our ingredients, we're giving this food to our own children. Like, right, it's very mm-hmm. personal. So when I pick, and, and we've integral in the developments of the product. So when we pick the ingredients, we know that I know that my son is going to eat this product, you know, every day, probably. And so it becomes a very... Um, the decision of what we use to put in is is very carefully thought out and very carefully researched because we want to know that it's going to be healthy for our own children, as you would mm-hmm. if you were feeding, mm-hmm. you know, uh, kids or yep. you you very you very conscious or a mother who's cooking for her child she's conscious about what she's going to give her child, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that we work with a lot of animal rights organisations and we do it not because. We trying to, you know, put our company um, to to kind of create a, an idea mm-hmm. that we are authentic. We are authentic. That's what we want to do. That's why we started our business in 1990 is because we actually have a purpose, and we've been living with that purpose for 30 years now. We didn't decide it was our purpose last year. Um, the challenge for Fries is that we don't have the financial backing Mm -hmm. that some of these companies have so of course that's probably our greatest challenge is that we can't just do what uh, companies with millions of dollars can do Mm -hmm. and celebrity endorsements and um, celebrity investors we we don't have that so of course that would be that, that's something that we would look at is is to see how can we get how can we generate capital mm-hmm. that we can actually make a go of the US because um, it's just a family right yeah. so there's only so much that we can do yeah but in in a way the the sort of the weaknesses that you may perceive to have because you're a family business that has grown organically that has probably not taken several rounds of venture capital investment and maybe do or don't have plans to do that as you expand into the U.S. and other countries. But um, as you said, you've got your own authentic story. And um, and more importantly, I think what what always makes the big decision from a consumer standpoint, if they're trying to decide which product to buy, is which product tastes the best. Yeah. I mean, I was going to mention that. I, you know, Fry's... Um, has won awards all over the world Mm -hmm. for taste. So we've won the PETA UK award for best vegan meat. We've won um, pretty, you know, the Veg Fest UK awards, which are quite uh, popular and well-known in the UK for best vegan meat. Um, We stand up there with the best and the most well-known brands in the world. And we have very little marketing budgets. Mm. You cannot do that. You cannot achieve that if your products don't, are not great tasting. Because we rely on taste. We rely on people to say to their friends, what you've got to do is go out and buy fries because it tastes great. Um, 
if you stood at a show with us for just five minutes, you would see people's faces when they try fries. They mm. are astounded at how good the products are. Our chicken nuggets, I, I'll tell you right now that our chicken nuggets are the best in the world. And I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. Mm -hmm. um, we've done enough tests, enough uh, blind testing with various brands you can jump onto youtube and see some of the world's you know greatest youtubers tasting fries against all the others mm -hmm. and picking fries is the best so yes our products stand up and taste they they definitely up there with the with the world's best um did we create them in a lab no <laughs> um <laughs> we created them the same way we would have created them in a kitchen uh, with some really good healthy ingredients that we've that have been well researched so we tick the taste box absolutely we would never have made it this far i can imagine if we yeah. didn't we would never we would have died because there's so much else right right we, we would have died out mm -hmm. um if we didn't yeah i also wanted to pick up on something else you mentioned you mentioned um you've supported animal rights groups um which it's not surprising but um it, you may have also know if you've been noticing trends in food marketing, especially when it comes to plant-based products, you've, you've seen in the last few years almost a downplaying of that message because people, you know, market surveys and research says that uh, it's okay to talk about health and it's okay to, now it's becoming even okay to talk about the environment, mm. but um, people don't want to hear of the animal rights message. Uh, do you see that impacting the way you message your brand and your product? in the US or some other countries or you're just going to do what you've always done and be yourselves and 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 hopefully people will accept it because uh how else are people going to change unless you you give them a chance to learn a new message and change that way um i think you know we align with animal rights groups because it's where our first passion was mm -hmm. and um so we will continue to do that um it's something that makes us feel like uh, we showcasing our authentic side. Mm. Um, Fries is a health brand anyway, because we all athletes. I mean, if you look at the whole Fries family, you've got Wally Fry, who was a Springbok water skier for 10 years. Mm. He's still very active. He's kite surfing at age 70. Um, you've got um, uh, Sean, my brother-in-law, and he's an Ironman. He's just qualified to go to Kona. Um, I've been an athlete. I represented my country for almost 20 years. Um, in karate so when we developed these products yeah. for primarily ourselves you know not not for commercial purposes we were also making food that suited us for training so if you look at the macro breakdown mm -hmm. of fries products it's excellent for people that are you know very high protein all eight essential amino acids um the the fats that we're using and the oils that we use are coconut based so we've got a whole health story to tell mm -hmm. but we also don't want to say that this is, um, you know, the apple that dropped off the tree because that's not what we are. <laughs> we are not a perfect health food brand. Um, we, our purpose is uh, very clear. We want to give people who want to stop eating animals an alternative to eat something tasty that can still perform in the same way in recipes and in their kitchen and on the, on the barbecue. We want to give them that. Um, we are not going to be uh, a raw for raw food, uh, you know, raw food diets or that's not what Fries does. Um, not at the moment. Anyway, mm -hmm. at the moment, we're producing alternatives. Yeah. And you know, maybe in some ways you don't need uh, celebrity endorsements and uh, 
uh, a high-powered athlete to promote your brand because your family's doing it yourself. <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, we're not that well known as individuals. <laughs> but um, no, you know, we're very much, uh, very much conscious of what what athletes need. And yeah. um, we had John Lewis, uh, badass vegan, <laughs> over in South Africa with us, and he was so impressed by the the products. And he came to our, you know, our, our facility, and he said, "This this macro breakdown is just." Mm-hmm. Awesome for people that are working out, you know, uh, athletes, CrossFit athletes, uh, weightlifters. It's a it's a really good macro breakdown. So, um, but we knew that because we created it that way. Yeah, and I think it's important that, and, and you're, I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, that no one's, everyone knows what this food exists for, and um, um, no one is saying that you should supplement anything, all fruits and vegetables in your diet with uh, meat alternatives. Meat alternatives. No, but absolutely. at the same time, no one is saying that you can't be healthy with this because that's not, both of those statements are not true. What is true is that people still crave meaty taste and texture, that's and it. you definitely should be eating whole foods and whole fruits and vegetables and grains. But um, if it, if your body can process them, but um, when you do crave have meaty alternative, when you do crave a meaty texture or that um, protein-rich food, it, this is way better than choosing to eat meat. Um, yeah. And I Absolutely. think that's what people get. And um, and of course, uh, there has to be um, an effort to make um, products with cleaner ingredient labels and to make sure that the additives and the fillers are kept to a minimum. Um, but you've got to strike that balance, and that balance has been struck. Um, by companies like you that have been around for a long time that have understood that with shifting times, um, your knowledge about those products have also shifted where I think where they are now probably is very different from where they were in 1992, for example. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're right. Um, the, the the ingredient label is different. It's very clean. Um, there's nothing in there that I wouldn't feed a child. And of course, the balance between having um, fruit and vegetables, you know, you should be eating. It's mm-hmm. an eighty twenty principle, right? Yeah, yeah. We we want eighty percent of the time you're eating really healthy, you know, r- organic fruit and vegetables. But sometimes mm-hmm. you can break that and you can have um, a meat alternative or a burger because you also have to enjoy life. Um, and if you don't and you keep all of that out of your diet, you find a massive fallout. And, and that's why we have such a big fallout from in veganism. Yeah. There's a lot of people that fall out of veganism because they say, I just couldn't, I just couldn't keep it up. Like I was on the plane and I, I, I just, I couldn't keep it up. I just had to eat something that felt like filling and sustaining, or I just walked past that burger place and it just smelled so good, <laughs> you know. And that, that's why we have the fallout. So meat alternative companies are stopping the fallout mm-hmm. and they're helping people to stay there. They, they're providing a crutch, you know, mm-hmm. for people to stay in plant based. Yeah, and that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I've said this before, and people have heard this podcast in the past, um, is that it's. Um, I even when I talk to people about food in the environment and the destruction that we are um, currently uh, responsible for through our food system, and most people want to know what. So what should I do next? Are you trying to tell me I need to quit everything uh, and eat salad every day? And I and I think that's that's not at all what you're saying. Neither is what I say. Is it's and the way I put it is it's more like a path you have to decide to walk on, and it starts with moderating your consumption of meat. And it could be eliminating, but that's up to you to decide. Um, secondly, is that look at what you have in your 
your refrigerator and your pantry and see which products you can replace with a plant-based alternative. It could be deli meats, it could be sausages, it could be cheeses, it could be mm-hmm. milks um, or burgers, and it can be whatever you desire. Now yeah. you can find an alternative uh, yeah. replacement for it. And then thirdly, you embrace whole plant foods. And, and if you follow those three steps, you're you're walking down that path. Now where you go with that, how much you want to moderate real meat, whether you want to quit it or eat only once a week or something, and how much do you want to rely on meat alternatives versus how much whole foods you want to eat, I think that's left up to people. But um, yeah. I think giving a path is way easier. And if it wasn't for products like this, uh, that path would be almost impossible. I know I wouldn't have walked it. I, I would agree with you. I think uh, these foods are transitioning foods. Mm-hmm. They help people somewhere in their transition from maybe being a flexitarian to maybe being a vegetarian to maybe being a vegan. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're supporting that process and we're helping that process to happen. And um, it's also a great way for uh, animal rights organizations to advocate because there's such a big barrier up about the taste of food. Right, people are addicted to food. You just have to look at the West and how people are so overweight. Why are we? Why are we so overweight? Why is the world obese? Mm-hmm. Because we're addicted to food. We can't leave it. Like that is a problem with humanity, right? Mm-hmm. So, people know that there's a lot of things going on that they might not agree with, but they still want to sit down and eat what they've always eaten. You know what their mum ate, what mm-hmm. the, the their their grand parents ate and they want to cook food in the same way they're resistant to change but when you show them something like a fries nugget or a fries schnitzel and you say well you can just put this in the toaster and it's so easy and it tastes amazing and here it is try it out Mm. and all those barriers just crash down like oh it's just it's just like me i just do exactly what i used to do it still tastes great i'm still getting the protein all of those barriers fall down and then you can really get to a key message that about if you can eat this once a week or twice a week or, or every day, you can help all of these other issues. Mm-hmm. You know, you can help humanity. You can help the animals. You can help the environment. And then it just makes sense. And yeah. people are open to that message. Once, they've, once you've crashed down the taste barrier, mm-hmm. they're open to hearing that. Yeah, I like Before, that. Before, they don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah, so, because that's the way in. Uh, food is food, and most of us are just programmed since the day we are born to like certain tastes. That's why people from different parts of the world, depending on the kind of food they ate growing up, have different tastes and flavors yeah. that they are drawn to. And um, you can't just change that overnight. And not to say that people's palates can't open up and you can't be more receptive to different flavors and the subtle flavors of, of an organic vegetable, but uh, it, that takes time, and it, it takes, takes time. time um, and you're saying I like that you break the taste barrier, and then you've got um, you've got direct access to that person's uh, uh, not only their taste buds, but but their, their consciousness, their consciousness, and the way they see the world. Yeah, and uh, which is you know, and I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent for because I know your your focus is marketing, because I think that is the crux of of of. Uh, Effective marketing also, which is you've got to understand how how people view the world. And to be able to provide your products, your service, or whatever it is that you're trying to get them to pay attention to in the context of how they view the world. And in this case, since it's food, it's how they taste food. And yes. if you can't get through to, to them on that very first step, you're never going to get to them about understanding bigger issues. 
But the beauty is once you get past that first step, right? And you've and, and this is where marketing comes in is that how do you then use that connection you have with, with them or their consciousness, as you put it, uh, to then help them see things the way you see things? Yeah. That this food is not only great because it tastes great, but this food is um, is is the solution to some of the problems that we're facing as yeah. on, on this planet right now. And then you can have that conversation because you've already got that connection with mm-hmm. them. And then your brand, your messaging through social media, the words you put on your packaging, all then tell that story uh, to that customer or that, that fan of your product yeah. um, that further adds to the taste that they already are in love yeah. with. I mean, people are people are inherently good. Right. They're inherently compassionate. And you just need to access that um, because there's a big wall up there, right? Um, a huge wall. And that's why we have um, more meat eaters than we do vegans mm-hmm. because the wall is big and it's strong. Um, so when you break that down, um, you can start talking about, you know, the animal rights aspects. You can start talking about – and. You also need to craft that message depending on who you're talking to. You're either talking to an athlete, um, you're talking to someone who has animals in their home, or you're talking to a mum with children. Um, so your message may need to change according to who that person is. To, you, they need to be receptive to your message. Mm-hmm. So you do then have to carefully um, craft the, the second and the third and the fourth step. Yeah. Um, and uh, access that thing which that person is most interested in and where their misconception is about meat or plant-based. So you have to access that. And, I mean, that that comes down to knowing people um, and having – which is marketing. Yeah. Marketing is that, right? Is knowing people, understanding people, knowing that they are compassionate, knowing that they do care mm-hmm. um, a lot about the food that they eat, but they just mm-hmm. haven't allowed – that wall to come down. Yeah, and good marketing isn't about tricking people into no. seeing things your way and then buying something. It is about helping them see what is in within themselves. Yeah, uh, it, and you put it beautifully. So I, I'm I totally agree with you on that front. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about where Fries is now in terms of. Um, you know, we're here because you're obviously planning to get into the U.S. market, and that's going to happen very soon. Uh, why now? What what took this long? <laughs> um, you know, we have so many people, because it's a global world now, mm-hmm. right? So we have customers that um, that have been in the U.K., and we have, Fries is very fortunate in that we've got, like, diehard fans. They really love the products. They don't want to eat anything else. They want fries, and they, they ask for it. They want it. So we have, I don't know, uh, probably 10 to 20 requests almost every day from the U.S. People asking, when can we get your products in the U.S.? Because we've been in, living in the U.K. We've been living in Australia. We've been living in New Zealand. But we've now moved to the U.S. and we can't get fries. <laughs> and we've had stories. I mean, two days ago, I received an email from a mother who's got two kids. And she said, we're leaving South Africa and we're going to the U.S., but we're not moving if we can't get fries there because <laughs> my kids cannot – like, they love your products. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we have a big consumer demand for the product. So now it was just about saying, let's, you know, let's take on this challenge. Um, and mm-hmm. it is a challenge for us because the U.S. is a large 
it's a large market yeah. um, and it comes with its own challenges. But uh, we decided that this is the year, um, this is the year we're going to make it happen. Obviously, you've been a global company in about 28 countries, as you mentioned. And um, the thing about different entering different countries is you have probably have to adapt your products to that market. It could be flavors, it could be the packaging itself, and it could be how you communicate the fry story. Uh, given the U.S. is big and complicated and a new market for you, what changes do you sort of anticipate uh, for fries as you enter into this market? I think um, our products uh, are replicating a lot of fast food meats. So mm-hmm. we have you know, nuggets and tenders and um, burgers, um, sausages, a whole variety sausage rolls. Um, I think we also bring some difference because we have products that are maybe not um, American, mm-hmm. like a sausage roll, which is relatively unknown here, but in the UK is so big, but it's a great tasting product. So we we bring some foods that are common to American uh, market, but we bring some slightly um, non-traditional foods to the American market. And I think that's a quite exciting. Mm-hmm. I don't think we want to be exactly like every other brand that's here. We want to bring some difference. We want to bring some slightly unique flavors. We want to bring our, what we call our Boravor spice, which is, you know, a, a South African, a traditional South African spice. We want to bring that to the U.S. We don't necessarily want to make everything uh, like uh, we don't want to copy mm-hmm. competitors. Um, that's not our style. We, we're going to do our own unique thing. And um, uh, we believe that the products we have have already got acceptance here. And from all the taste testing we've done and the consumer research we've done, some of the products we have are going to be very successful with no change. Of course, packaging has to be adapted for the American market, mm-hmm. and that, that will be done. And, of course, there's scope to enter new um, categories um, mm. and some horizontal diversification in the brand, which is already taking place um, in other countries. You know, we have uh, breakfast cereals. We have smoothie mixes. We have um, an, a vegan ice cream uh, product which is sold in South Africa. So we do have do a diversification. Will we bring those to the U.S. immediately? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll establish the brand first and, and possibly in the future bring those here as well. Yeah, so where do you see the, the first fries products being sold uh, in the U.S. and where and when, most importantly? Um, I would say um, Bristol Farms, mm-hmm. uh, Whole Foods, California, and probably Air One is so probably you're starting with the West Coast. Uh, West Coast. Okay. That's where our products come into. That's where the container arrives. Um, we'll probably start off quite small mm-hmm. um, because obviously uh, the re- we don't have the resources to take on the whole of the U.S. market. Amazon's very exciting. Uh, Amazon Frozen. Um, is is being developed at the moment, so that's an exciting avenue for us. Um, but we will start off quite small, as we have in every other country. Mm-hmm. We've always started off small. Um, in the UK, we were, you know, in Holland and Barrett. Um, Whole Foods is only two of them in the UK, so a lot of the very small retailers before we ended up in Sainsbury's. Mm. You know, we were 18 years in independence in the UK before we went to Sainsbury's and we got listed with Sainsbury's and now we're in Sainsbury's. But we have a very loyal following. We knew it would be, we knew that it would be successful mm. on day one. And that's what we need to know before we go mainstream. Wow. And in terms of timing, is this happening within a few months? Is it 2019? I would say, 
Oh, absolutely. The okay. container sitting in Anaheim. So <laughs> oh, we need to sell some food. Um, this will be in the next in the next three or four weeks. You'll see oh, fries great. going into Independence. And mm-hmm. of course, if anyone wants to follow the Facebook page, we'll just keep updating a list of um, of places that you can buy the product. Mm-hmm. And what have you? And without giving away too much, obviously, uh, what do you have planned in terms of how do you br- build? brand awareness in the US um, about fries I mean besides this podcast of course yeah this is, <laughs> actually I was sort of banking on the podcast <laughs> um, maybe then you won't have to do anything else but um, uh, I, I wish that we were that impactful I'm sure a lot of people are going to hear about you but you've got to you've got to reach um, everyday consumers too and, and are you planning like what is your typical strategy is I guess what I'm really asking um, um, do you do you rely on on um, how much of it is is uh, sampling in stores? How much of it is events and or just uh, you're relying on digital media? Uh, where's your bigger focus from? Because uh, you know that's I, I I'm always more as much as I'm interested in talking about the ingredients in the product. How do you get it out? How do you get it out is the most exciting part. Um, well, uh, we always we always use a PR mm-hmm. as sort of our first um, the first step for us. Um, why do we do that? Because we have a great story to tell um, that's heartwarming for a lot of people and inspiring to a lot of people. Um, so that's and we do we've done that already. Mm-hmm. We're working with you know all of the plant-based media um, to get that out, and we've already we've already achieved qu- quite a bit in that in that space. Um, digital, of course, it's a digital world, so um, we have a lot of video content um, showcasing some of the stories and the Fry's family, how it started, um, what or new ranges that are coming to the US, so we've got a very strong uh, digital team mm-hmm. that is managing that. Um, of course, we, ha- we have to establish some kind of customer uh, list so that we can do anything else because at this point we can't be sampling we, we don't know where we're at so yeah. uh, sampling is very important though because once someone tasted fries mm-hmm. they're going to buy it and they're going to keep buying it they're not going to be disappointed so sampling is critical for us um it is obviously a little slower than other uh, marketing mm-hmm. um avenues but it definitely works because we've got a product that is is very strong on taste so that's a, an, something that we will do once we've established where we're at. You know, if it's Erewhon or Whole Foods, we'll be sampling in the store and, um, and, and getting people to try the products. Um, podcasts like this, mm-hmm. great opportunity for us. Like, again, thank you for giving us the platform. Um, that's another, another avenue to get out there and, and tell people about who we are and what, we, what we're doing here. Yeah. And are you so largely looking at retail in the beginning? Because I'm sure your products are also a good fit for food service. Um, We do. Yeah. I mean, 30% of Fry's business is food service. Mm -hmm. We supply hundreds of schools, universities, um, canteens and corporate canteens, um, prisons in the UK, Mm -hmm. pubs and, and quick service restaurants. We're in... Some of the very, very, very prominent international QSR 
outlets, and I can't mention names, but mm-hmm. we're already in some of those in, in Scandinavia and oh. Germany. So we're already doing food service on a very big scale, and, and the food service products are available here in the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we'll be looking for customers in food service. Um, it, it, it's, it's a little um, a little trickier to get going there, yeah. but um, that's something we're going to do. That that takes a lot more effort, I'm sure. And plus, um, if if uh, I still haven't tried your chicken nugget, but uh, if it's if it's what you claim it is, then uh, you know schools in the U.S. would be a huge market for that. Yeah. I keep hearing that that's one of the if if uh, if someone can figure out a way to make chicken nuggets from only plants at a price range that can compete with the real yeah, chicken. chicken nugget yeah. uh, you would really have something so um it's exciting to see what you do next on that front as well yeah um, in south africa our chicken nuggets overtook the sales of meat chicken nuggets <laughs> so um can you believe that in africa huh. right so these are great products We've got a gluten-free option. It's very highly rated in Australia for its health um, rating. They have, a, mm-hmm. they have a health star rating. And we've just been listed on the main school's catalog in Australia for school canteens to use our chicken nuggets as an option for the kids. And I think that's so neat. That's so needed because growing up as a, a kid mm-hmm. that where there was no options. I mean, I could not go to the tuck shop or the school canteen. There was nothing for me. Then um, that's changing. So it's, it's good to see that kids are going to be able to, you know, go plant-based and there's going to be less barriers for them. Yeah. No, I think the easier you make, especially um, kids, it gets really tough if you're trying to get your kids to not eat meat. I don't have kids, but this is the challenge I hear from a lot of people. Um, All their friends are eating the chicken nuggets and other stuff. And what are they supposed to eat? Carrots? That's Uh, it. And and I think it it also, like, as a mum of of kids that are mm plant-based, it's... um, it's really difficult to go to, you know, the school sausage sizzle and your kids are sitting on the side and it's actually off-putting to people around because they yeah. sit and say, well, thank, thank, thank God my kids are not vegan, <laughs> you know, thing. So, so as soon as your kids can also have a sausage and a roll with ketchup, so I would say tomato sauce, you guys say ketchup. <laughs> and, tomato, uh, tomato. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, when they're sitting having the exact same, it it. it Open so many other like mm-hmm. parents come to you and start saying, "Oh, what are they having?" So, so they're also having a sausage, yeah. and it just it helps the advocacy side of it as well. Um, when we go out to barbecues, just so easy, yeah. and, and people actually all of our products end up getting eaten before the meat products because people are interested, yeah. and they want to try. And then you start having the questions. You know, you don't have to go out there fighting. You just yeah. you just provide really good vegan food, and people start asking you questions. Yeah, are you? Um, I mean, of course, U.S. market as exciting and as big an opportunity it is. It is not going to be without its challenges. Um, what do you think? Um, sort of your biggest challenge is coming into this this whole new world out here? <laughs> um, we have one, and that's financial resource to mm. to go um, to take on America properly. Mm. That, that's our biggest challenge, for sure. And that connects to everything from, you'll have to obviously, if you really want to be a contender in this market, you have to manufacture here. Yeah, we'll um, have to manufacture here. We'll have to have the right, possibly the right partner here to, to mm-hmm. make that a reality. Um so that, of course, is something that we're looking closely at at the moment is how can we take it? Because we can supply, 
you know, a hundred to three hundred retail outlets. Um, but but we're not going to be able to supply, you know, some of the mainstream retailers just manufacturing where we are right now. And it doesn't make sense because it's a it's far to to move stock from South Africa to the US. It's it's a long trip on a ship. <laughs> um, it just doesn't make sense. We need to source locally. We need to buy our ingredients locally, manufacture, and that's. Fairly simple because we have the blueprint, so we know yeah. how to do that. Um, it's just a financial uh, – we, we would need a financial partner for sure. Yeah, but I guess in the way that you're coming in, starting with the West Coast, starting with a few um, smaller stores just to uh, sort of establish, establish, establish the product, yeah. get the brand kind of some visibility, um, get people to eat the food, and, um, and then – uh, it, it should just sort of just kind of snowball from there. Yeah. Um, given the success that you've had across the world, um, that and I, you see the U.S. market, the at least what I hear and what I'm in talking to people who are older companies as well as newer companies, is that there is a lot of room at the moment. There is, you know, pun intended, a lot of appetite for this kind of food. No, I and mean. It's just that part of the problem is we most companies can't meet the demand. It's the uh, it, it's not the question of lack of demand right now. It's just how do we get this food into all the right places so that and at a price point that people can can afford because the market exists out there. The stigma around uh, meat alternatives, um, plant based foods, or vegan food is. Is starting to die down. Um, I mean, some would say that it doesn't exist at all anymore, and that um, the mainstream consumer gets it. That this yes. is just this isn't some specialty food only meant for vegans or vegetarians. This is something people are now adding into their grocery carts, no matter if they eat meat or not, uh, because they see that this is um, this is one way to diversify their diet. It's convenient to eat these foods too. That's a big factor in why, uh, you know, not everyone cooks at home all the time because people lack time, especially busy working parents with kids. Um, yep. You need these kind of foods. on, uh, and, and if you can eat something plant-based, that's better. Now to have 10, 15, 20 brands to choose from, um, it would have seemed unthinkable a few years ago because yep. there wouldn't be anyone to buy the products. That's not no, the problem anymore. No, there's definitely a market now. I mean, there's a lot of documentaries as well that mm -hmm. have uh, raised people's awareness on on the health aspect, which is incredible. Like, what the health? I mean, what an incredible documentary. Uh, people that watch that just changed overnight, <laughs> you know. Um, the documentaries are going to be really important for veganism to continue growing and to get the message out to mainstreams. People can sit in their lounge room and, and watch, you know, documentaries about their health and to see the real truth. And then you can go online mm -hmm. and you've got this, you know, so, uh, social media and, and the internet have changed everything for veganism because no longer do we just have listen to propaganda from mm -hmm. big corporate um, about the fact that you need dairy for strong bones, you know, those sort of age old um, ideas that, that we, that we were taught from the time we were at school. Mm -hmm. I mean, we learned that at school. That was something that we learned. If you don't have dairy, you won't, you, your bones will break. Yeah. You know, you won't, you just won't survive. You won't get calcium. Mm -hmm. We learned that at school, but now with, the internet being so prevalent, you can go online and you can see where can I get plant-based sources of calcium. Mm -hmm. What does dairy actually do to me? What does it do in my body? People are starting to understand dairy is an acid food. You know, you end up putting your body into an acid state and then it leaches the calcium from. So people are starting to learn that now. Um, 
and they they're starting to realize that they have possibly been lied to in, mm-hmm. a, in a lot of ways from big big um uh, huge corporate industry mm-hmm. and um they have access to the truth and once they have access to the truth and it resonates with them intuitively and it resonates with them when they try it in, in their body um they just change and and that's why you're just seeing this huge explosion because people once they've done vegan for a month they, it's very hard to go back because you feel the difference. You can mm-hmm. see the difference. Your face changes, your skin changes. Your, you know, people have rashes and the rashes go away and the acne goes away. And so many things happen. They they don't get heartburn and um, all these side effects. Their recovery after training is quicker. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have athletes that train. Um, my husband runs a CrossFit gym. We have, I don't know, 150 athletes, and these guys come on keto and they come on paleo and. We recommend that they try plant-based for a little while and see how it goes. And some of them are astounded by the changes, by the fast recovery that they're having, by the fact that they can train every day and not feel exhausted, mm-hmm. um, that they don't have a slump in the afternoon, you know, energy-wise. So once they're trying it, it just it makes sense. Yeah. You know, they, they change and, and then, then they don't go back. Yeah, I think the it's already starting to happen, but uh, I think the coming year, 2019, 2020, probably even um, the performance aspect of, uh, of cutting out meat, dairy, and eggs from your diet are, are going to really um, sort of per, get into the mainstream consciousness. I have a yeah. feeling. I mean, it's already starting to happen, but I think... Um, I know there's a documentary that's going to come out, out very soon that's going to help in that. But you even see what's happening in um, in professional sports in the U.S. with athletes um, eating, if not entirely plant-based, at least mostly plant-based. Mm. Um, and they're doing it for performance reasons. They're not doing it... For the at least no one's saying that they're not, <laughs> yeah, doing, they're it, not, they're not yeah. doing it to save animals they're doing it because they see, especially in professional sports where the... And I, I was talking to uh, she put it really well. I was talking to Chef Charity Morgan, who uh, is a is a plant-based chef whose husband plays for the Tennessee Titans. She was on this podcast a few episodes back, and, and she was saying how he got into it is because um, at that level of competition, the difference between winning and losing is, is so slim that athletes will just try anything that gives them a slightly edge, edge uh, an edge over the other. And... When they try plant based, um, they feel an instant edge. Yeah. And so it's anyone who's done it doesn't go back. They at least when they're training, at least when they're in season, they try to eat plant based. So that I think those those the the proof is there. There's going to be a whole new wave of people coming onto this way of eating, attracted to these kind of products because of that. And you add to what you mentioned earlier about um, about the power of uh, the internet and social media. And you keep in mind that there's a whole new generation now uh, with uh, buying and consumer, uh, uh, with buying power, purchasing power, that hasn't been brought up watching TV and advertising on TV. They get their content from the internet. They subscribe to Netflix and Hulu and and other apps. They don't even know what ads tell them because they block most of the ads on the internet. And that's the reality of the new media world. Uh, they get the content that they want to get through Instagram, through influencers, or through the brands that they like, through YouTube, um, and subscription services um, that they watch documentaries and movies on. So you've got a whole new wave of, um, you know, I think... I think millennials were the first, but I think the Gen Gen Z, I believe, is the next generation after them. Um, 
are almost are very tough to lie to and fool because they haven't been um, indoctrinated. I mean, maybe at, at home and maybe in school they're still indoctrinated, but at least the mass media has, has doesn't have that same power over that. them. And they're also being left with a world which is damaged. And they're the ones and who that, have to face the consequences of all it. this. That, that's it. Um, they are left with what what we have done. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the oceans are going to... Um, basically collapse in in 2048 uh, because of the rate at which we fishing out the fish, the rate at which we're destroying the ocean, the plastics in the ocean. Um, Those for children, that's going to be a major, uh, they're going to be very concentrated on trying to change that because they face, it's going to be in their lifetime. A lot of older people, I'm not going to be here anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to surf. I'm not going to be diving. And and my family live in a coastal town where it, everyone's world is around the ocean. You know, people spend their lives in the ocean. And when you tell them that, they are they don't even a lot of people don't even know that. But the young generation know that. Mm-hmm. They're very conscious of it. They they're already aware of how can I make a difference? How can I how can I change you know what's going on and the first thing that they're going to do is stop eating the fish (laughs) because you know um it's it's all good to change from plastic straws to paper straws but if you're still eating fish it doesn't you know it doesn't all add up you have to change what you eat you have to change what's on your plate that's where the war will be fought is what you what you choose to put on your plate yeah i mean it's i i I say that i have that in my book is that the real war against climate change is being fought on our plates three times three or more times a day when we sit down to eat. And yeah. I think it's um, it's the oceans. I, I, I mean, we could spend another hour just talking about the, the oceans, ocean. and we probably will save that for another time. But um, it is it is probably the scariest thing we're facing. It seems kind of we, – we don't think about it. But um, uh, if you really look at the science and the data, we've probably done most damage to the oceans. And without a healthy ocean, we, we have little hope of uh, having a thriving human population. Yeah. Uh, 20, 30 years down the line. So, you know, we're part of this. I, I keep saying this. We're we're lucky to be um, alive doing the work we're doing now because I think we still have hope. We still have a small window of opportunity where we can um, shift people's behaviors. Um, and And we have, through food, such an easy way, at least seemingly easy way, to get people to do the right thing mm-hmm. because the impact you can have with just shifting the way you're eating it's far more easy for anyone to to kind of yeah. attempt versus going and trying to buy an electric car that th- that costs a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Although that's getting better too, but the impact that you can make with food is way, way, way bigger. Way, way bigger. And way bigger. so the food system, the food system is so resource intense, mm-hmm. and with the growing human population, we just cannot carry on what doing what we did. You know, centuries ago, or even not even centuries ago, just you know, we we've got eight billion people. Yeah. Um, we cannot slaughter um, 80 billion animals because these animals are con- just consuming. They're using water. They're eating grains. Um, they're living, breathing organisms that we're growing for, for the 8 billion to eat. And, and just that idea, you, when you realize that there's 10 times more animals that we're keeping alive just to feed humans, mm-hmm. you realize uh, – it's it's not going to work out, you know. As uh, what happens when there's ten million people, uh, t- mm-hmm. ten, ten billion, billion people, yeah. then what happens? How, do we do we then have a hundred billion animals? I yeah. mean, 
it, the equation doesn't work out. We have to reduce that number and we have to have less um, organisms uh, yeah. living and using the resources of the planet. Um, and eating plant-based food does not have the same impact that those animals have. So when people realize that, they do. They do start to change. And it is, of course, a journey. And I think as people who are advocating for it, we have to celebrate all those little steps that people take because it's incredible that people are, are really taking this on, taking the message to heart and changing because it's hard to change. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to change. Um, it's just easy to do what you always did. And so it, it does take some effort and commitment. Yeah. No, I think it's um, – and your um, it, it's so good to hear you say all of that um, because we are at a time when um, when having a plant-based food company has become the uh, – the possibly lucrative and exciting thing to do, yeah. uh, which is amazing. I mean, I'm not saying that in a negative sense. I'm saying that that we are, it's, you know, a few years ago, people were crazy to have a, yeah, a yeah. food company with 100% people plant. People thought Wally was absolutely mad. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, what, plants that look and taste like meat? So you're crazy. <laughs> and now you have, I mean, every, uh, I, literally, I hear it every week about some new firm looking to invest uh, millions of dollars into a new startup um and many of them some of them i wouldn't say many some of them don't even have the same passion for the subject matter mm. uh some of them are just seeing this as a great market opportunity yeah. and i welcome them all because it only adds to the greater good mm. uh, your personal reasons for doing it sort of doesn't matter to me yeah. of course i much prefer meeting someone like you yeah. who is driven by the same reasons i'm driven to do what i do but um we are finally at the time where it is actually um from a food industry standpoint, including the big food conglomerates as well as the big meat processors, are seeing that this is, for the reasons you just outlined, it, the the numbers just don't add up. Yeah. That if they want to even be in business 20, 30 years down the line, they have to diversify their protein source and they can't rely on animals yeah. uh, entirely. And it's, you know, for people who don't get that, um, because I still get some pushback from people who say... Um, well, we've always eaten meat, and we've uh, always done this, and we've always done that. Uh, you, For me, it always comes down to we didn't have so many people alive on planet Earth, and we never had such a high demand for meat. So it maybe we always did it, but we were not always about 8 billion people on this planet oh. and projected to reach 10 billion by 2050. Um, and so the, the, resource, the resource impact um, was much less compared to what it is now. And so... If you just don't, it's not even about, uh, it doesn't matter what your politics are, your beliefs in climate changes. It's just common sense. We are way too many people extracting far too many resources too quickly. We need another way. We have to have another way. It's a, it's a new world. We, we have to find another way if we want to survive as humanity. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we will just kill ourselves off. Yeah. <laughs> That's what will happen. So, I mean, there are, if, if, if nothing changed, uh, we would face the next, mass extinction mm-hmm. that's what we would do and then that's you know some people say well that's you know we'll just keep going and eventually just wipe everything out and we'll wipe <laughs> ourselves out in the process yeah. um, but most people don't see it that way most mm. people want to be a force for change for for the good yeah um, so 
and, and that's you know as you said with Gen Gen Z. Um, I <laughs> Sorry, think Gen gonna, Z for you. <laughs> Gen, Gen Z. Um, the the Gen Zs are, are are going to be our hope, and and children are are, are being born. I mean, I'm in that world because I'm a mum. Just the number of children that I see that are vegan or vegetarian on their own, like mm-hmm. service their own. It's just. It's incredible, and I think it would be awesome to see some research there because, um, you know, in my child's class, there's probably five or six vegetarians out of 20 children. That's 25%. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's very, very, very different from a few years ago. So there's just – these children are more conscious. They're more in touch with um, compassion maybe. Um, I mean, I don't have the numbers and I don't have mm-hmm. the research to back this up, but just as a mum – um, I'm definitely seeing children being very compassionate and, and saying, I just don't want to eat animals. And, and parents come and talk to me all the time. I, I run workshops on the subject is helping mums to cater for a wide variety of um, diets or mm. food needs in a family. You know, a child that's vegan and another one that's gluten intolerant and another one with a different allergy and a husband that still wants to eat meat. And how do you how do you cater for that with little time because no, nobody's got time anymore like mm-hmm. if you talk to people they always say well how are you going and i'm so busy you know you you don't even know how busy i am you know that's like the language at the moment everybody's just too busy mm-hmm. and there's no time to prepare prepare food so products like fries just make it easy mm. you don't have to be a vegan to eat that so yeah. it's good for your for your meat eating husband because he wouldn't even know right you, you just feed it to him he wouldn't know that he wasn't eating meat and and then you've got Kids that are gluten free and it caters for them and it caters for the vegans, so it caters just for everybody in the in the family and it's simple and easy. Mm-hmm. It's it's really you know it's just heating the food. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. It's not hard. This mm-hmm. is not a hard thing to do. This is not. We're not coming along and saying you have to start soaking your chickpeas mm. for three days before you eat them and you have to sprout your food and you have to activate your nuts. We don't have to teach people that. That's that's an advanced yeah. um, uh, uh, level of nutrition. But for phase one, mm-hmm. just just change the small things, you know, just change the protein source. It's easy. Yeah. It's not a difficult thing. So we're going to find with these children coming through that parents are going to start making changes and um, it's exciting to see that all going on. Yeah. And so how do you see the next few years hopefully working out for Fry's? Um, are you going to be largely focused on your new expansion in the in the U.S.? Or, of course, you still have to manage the rest of the world where you yeah. have business in. Um, what is your your hope for Fry's? Um, let's just talk about the U.S. for now since that's the new, uh, the new focus. Um, where do you see it um, in your best case scenario? Where would you like to see the company in a few years? Um, of course, we would like to see fries in every outlet in mm-hmm. the world. That's ultimately the vision is to have really good um, plant-based foods um, pro- that we're making um, for people everywhere in the world. So our goal for the U.S. is to hit every single supermarket outlet with a variety of foods in the frozen category, the chilled category, and the grocery category. So that's our vision um, and that's something that we're going to work tirelessly on to achieve. Um, but it all starts on, you know, you have to focus on tomorrow. So we have the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
tomorrow we we have to get into Air One <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or <laughs> into Bristol Farm. So we very we it, it, we we understand the challenge that lies ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are willing to take it on. And, you know, we're a second-gen family business now. So mm. we, although Wally might not be ready to take it on, <laughs> um, you know, the, the family, the younger family or the yeah. second generation are. And, and we want to we do the best that we can. We, wanna, uh, we want for us to be a legacy brand and an iconic mm-hmm. brand. Um, and we want Wally's story to be told um, worldwide. Um, so that, that just to inspire other people as well, that this can actually be achieved. If you're passionate about something, you can actually make uh, changes and and create something that's uh, purpose-driven and ethically driven, and it still exists in yeah. today's world. And I, you know, exists. I I resonate with the story because it's just so much of um, like, uh, the stars have sort of aligned to even make this possible. It seemed almost unlikely that Wally would end up <laughs> becoming. Um, the founder of uh, this iconic company that's uh, now being available in 28 countries and soon to be in the U.S. as well. Um, and he was trading goats at one point, and <laughs> and uh, and that was his business. And here he is, and here you are now, uh, many many years later, uh, as part of this this second generation, as you put it, of um, of Fry's Family Foods, um, bringing your all plant-based products into the US at a time when this industry has never been or the subsector of the food industry has never been hotter than ever before. So the timing is is great. Plus you've got those years of experience of doing it across yeah. the world. So you're not as opposed to and of course I love the the new startups who have just gotten started and yes, don't know yeah. what they're doing. As much as I love what they're doing, it's um you know the food industry. No, we know and, it. And, and we've, you, we've you understand manufacturing. Is, and That's it. We've done that. And I think that's, I mean, that's one of the challenges for the startups is, um, you know, a lot of things are being presented to a lot of retailers, but there's just no um, knowledge there. Mm-hmm. You know, we are steeped in knowledge. We, we, we've learned all of our lessons that we could learn. I mean, we're going to learn more. Yeah. Um, and, and we may even learn some here in the U.S., but... We've entered countries over and over again. We've entered retailers over and over again. We've used different ingredients and tried different things. And we, we've learned, we have 30 years of, of, of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ready to, when we're ready to do it, we're ready to do it. We, know, we, we do know what we are doing, um, even though we might seem to be just a family. And um, maybe we do things a little unorthodox, but, but we, know, we do know what we're doing. And we have knowledge in this space. Yeah, and I think your your authentic, you know, as you said, unorthodox uh, approach is what is going to help you stand out. And so I would, um, I mean, not that you can you can take it or leave leave my advice, but I think it's it's what's going to make you be unique mm-hmm. um, because the space is getting very crowded. And the, some of the the good thing about that is that there are more brands and there's more options for for people to buy products. But the challenging thing for that, from a brand standpoint is that how do you stand out now when everyone else is providing the same products and in you know we've been talking the theme has really been about how consumer habits are shifting and especially the younger generation gets it nothing connects more with an end consumer firstly a great tasting product that's a given but secondly it's an authentic story um and and that's undoubtedly um you guys at fries have one so 
I'm going to close out with one final question. Yeah. Um, I asked this of all my guests. It's, um, you know, we've been talking about sustainability and the impact on our oceans and our growing population and what that means to the future of, of humanity and to your kids and your kids' grand and your grandkids. And, and what kind of world do you want to bring in for them? Um, so the question I often ask is, um, is if we all succeed, if, if Fry's becomes this legacy brand that spreads across the world, is available everywhere, and other companies in the space, as well as other organizations, whether it's animal rights nonprofits or environmental nonprofits, all do their part, and we are able to course correct and shift away from this treacherous path we're on right now that is leading us to a world in 2050 that's going to be a terrible place to live in. But what if we all get it right? What if we succeed? Um, what if people shift away largely from meat, dairy, and eggs into eating plant-based foods? Um, and what if we're able to prevent some of these uh, environmental disasters and restore the balance in our oceans and our rainforests? What kind of world do you foresee in the year 2050 if you, if you get it right? What kind of food system do you foresee? Um, I, think, I think we're going a little bit, personally, I think we're moving more away from technology and from brands and from big supermarkets and big retail. So I think 2050, um, there's a lot more, you know, people moving out and growing their own food and um, wanting to trust the food that they're producing themselves in their kitchens. Um, I think that there's that, 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 I mean, that would be an ideal world. It would be an, a, a stunning place to live. Um, but I think the, the way that retail will be will be completely different. I think supermarkets are going to look very different. I mean, you're seeing supermarkets like, I want to say Air One again, because it's really astounded me. Um, we don't have anything like that in Australia. I wish we did because um, just how beautiful, you know, it's just it, there's the pharmaceuticals are changing. You know, people are looking at plants mm -hmm. as pharmaceuticals. They're looking at botanicals. Um, they're looking at nature to help them to heal and not only in the food, but in the medicines that they're taking. And, and so I think we see a, a very much healthier humanity um that's thriving and we're seeing uh and ecosystems that are rebuilding and we're seeing an ocean that is 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 is, is thriving and and you know we we're probably finding med medicines from the ocean which which i believe that they're already looking mm -hmm. at you know in the seaweeds and the things that we didn't even know um and the balance is restored and and the I mean, that's my hope for 2050, right? I mean, I hope I'm here to see it. Uh, you know, maybe you and I will be sitting um, <laughs> in 2050, 30 years from now with a, a soy latte. <laughs> Hopefully and, by a beach, I'm sure. Uh, by a beach somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and just seeing how we've managed to play like some little role mm -hmm. in, in, in changing things for the better. Yeah, I think you're definitely on your way. And uh, I'm very excited to see... Uh, what you do next here in the U.S. and globally, um, and for people to to get to know you and the brand and the products better in the weeks, months, and years ahead. So I'm very excited to follow this journey because it's going to be uh, definitely part of this bigger story that we're all part of. Yeah, thanks, Lil. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, 
please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.